Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Thursday afternoon. You know what that means. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamflet. Adam Wilborn's a part-timer and hasn't made it into the office in time, but all is well. Do not worry. Um, we are here to review AEW Dynamite, but before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we preview and review Dynamite, Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, premium live events, we have wrestler interviews, sometimes answer your burning wrestling questions, have roundtable discussions, and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. But we're here today to talk about Dynamite and Hamlet. What are your general overall thoughts I don't know. I didn't Me know. Me neither. I didn't know last week either. I am, um, if hypothetically, I was the type of person to be getting extremely excited about double or nothing. Uh, like, AW taking Vegas. Big week for the company. Yeah. You know, I would want right now to be seeing the card in the distance, be given the clues on television. And I feel like I'm getting that. I said that last week. I feel like the piece is starting to slot into place and I, I like them. But what I'm liking is a hypothetical Wikipedia page with the card on. Mm -hmm. Not massively the television show. I'm not feeling terribly electrified. I thought this, if I'm being brutally honest, I was quite excited about this card, match by match, and I probably underwhelmed on my expect, like in terms of my expectations. But it was better than last week for reasons I'm struggling to work out, and maybe we'll get to the bottom of it when we talk about the segments bit by bit. I don't know. It's... It, Weird. I don't know. It's very, very weird. I don't know what to think. I have a lot of thoughts, some of which will be very hypocritical, which I will get into. But I, I just couldn't pin down what I didn't like about the show. When I watched it, I was like, this is pretty good. Hmm. And yet I've got problems with a lot of it. And maybe the things I did like were based against pretty horrific expectations. Mm. I've got no idea. But let's, as you say, we'll probably get a better handle on all of it when we unpack it all, which we are going to do right now, beginning with the opener. Orange Cassidy defeating Bandido um, to retain the AEW International title. Um, I was a little bit disappointed with this. Yeah. I'm not very good at recap. Um, that's Adam Wilborn's uh, area of expertise. So forgive me for freewheeling in a stream of consciousness this way and dipping between barely recapping and, and analyzing it so I apologize but basically 
at the very start, I was wondering whether Cassidy was doing his usual trap-setting stuff or just leaning very hard on his shtick with Bandido here. And then, because he always gets me, he does a hurricane runner with his hands in his pockets, <laughs> and it looks absolutely amazing. And there's other stuff in this match which looks amazing, like a one-armed superplex. But there are really awkward moments peppered throughout, particularly at the finish, where in order to transition to um, Bandido's awesome one-armed gorilla press... He's just standing in the middle of the ring waiting for Orange Cassidy to jump off the top rope. And Orange Cassidy kind of freezes as if to suggest, it looks too obvious what we're about to do. You're not moving, though. <laughs> Let's just do it anyway. And it really took me out of the action, as did the finish, which I felt was anticlimactic because I thought that they would really continue the story of Cassidy kind of falling apart, yeah. which, you know incidentally, is mirroring what they did with Darby Allen in the TNT title run, mm. which is yet another instance on this show in AEW of real repetition issues, and there's more we'll get into it later. Um, but regardless, I didn't think he did enough to sell the hand, particularly after the Matthews match, which really felt like, oh, we are, the, the walls are closing in. I know this felt like it was midway through the rain, I thought this undermined the wider, longer-term story that Cassidy's been telling very well up until last night. And the finish kind of just, oh, that's the finish. Um, excellent in patches, but for me, that was it. Yeah. Um, aye, there's a bit to this, isn't there? Because there is definitely an expectation now on the quality of dynamite matches. And then you drill down further, and there are certain wrestlers where the expectation on them is higher Again, so it's not just Orange Cass. It's not just Orange Cassidy working. It's Orange Cassidy working dynamite. It's Orange Cassidy defending the international title. All of these things are stacking up to create a certain expectation, and I would argue that's the same for a Dax Harwood singles match, a Kenny Omega match. Full stop. You know what, the wackiness that Jeff Jarrett is up to, and there's that felt like a theme on this show. Ah, oh, these things I love. Why are they not? Why are they not making me feel loved? Tonight? Yeah, like, there was quite a bit of that. And, yeah, I, I wonder if it is down to the, the selling or the, the lack of selling, but the lack of attack to justify the selling. I think, like, neither of them made that story. So you can't, like, we can fan cast this angle, and certainly I felt like we were instructed to. Like, there's been plenty of occasions where you've been taught to receive Orange Cassidy as this beaten up war horse of a figure, despite the slacker aesthetic. And it didn't really lean on that. It didn't lean on anything. Like, there was, was, the shop. there was no, like real strong thread throughout. Bandido does what Bandido does. Orange Cassidy does what he does. And they were wrestling their matches against anyone that just happened to collide with each other. And I just felt like that disconnect throughout. And that's odd, considering that the long play here was they're going to be mates. So it's not as if, they've, like we've talked about this before, one of my absolute favourite things is wrestlers respecting each other after a battle. It's amazing. Mm. It's the It was at the heart of MJF, Punk and Wardlow. And what you've got to now do is have these two as friends for something that matters quite a lot later in the show and indeed a match on next week's Dynamite. And this wasn't the match to set that up either. It's like, ah, oh, it's funny. He's put glasses on him and he's wearing a mask. Like, but, I don't know, I think I believed more about the battle-worn warriors bit you did with Shibata and they didn't even fight each other. Yeah. Like, like you put the glasses on before they'd had their, was it like last year's Forbidden Door? Yes. So that was before the match, wasn't it? I just, I don't know. I didn't think they... They didn't pull at anything here, particularly. It just happened. 
It just happened, and it was pretty good in patches, but yeah, that was about it. Um, touching on what you've just said, uh, we cut backstage to Renee Paquette interviewing um, Adam Cole in her area backstage. He basically says he's coming out later to confront Jericho, at which point, in a really nice side gag, there's still these brilliant little moments yeah. peppered in Dynamite, like Dynamite tier thought coursing through this program, even when it's wildly uneven. Um, so Cassidy is under the impression that he's going to get interviewed, yeah. and Renee's just like, no. Um, I was just talking to Adam Cole, you know, discussing the events of last week when he and uh, Britt Baker were, like, really brutally assaulted by Chris Jericho, the JAS and the Outcasts, and what initially scanned as a black comedy bit, like, he was a bit apathetic, he went, eh. <laughs> <laughs> but that turned into something else. Now he knows that happens. So, yeah, uh, it evolved into something else later in the show. I just thought it was a really nice, blackly comedic non-sequitur, but it was, in fact, building to something else. Um, very busy. Paquette is also backstage with Darby Allen and Jungle Boy, and I don't know if this was the plan or if it was a course correct from last week, but they basically had a nice conversation with enough tension because there has to be tension between them leading into the four-way, which is still happening, where they basically say, yeah, we took it too far last week. Soz, but I'm still a bit better than you. I, I'm i not so sure I was as on board with this still. I don't know if um, they just... Did they like let the reins too loose on Darby Allen? And now, like, this was so much of a course correct that I didn't necessarily buy it. I didn't believe that what they were saying about the, yeah, well, you know, ultimately it's all about the battle and we still respect each other. And I just don't like seeing Darby Allen have to get the cocky line in. Like, presumably as instructed, as you say, to build the tension. I just don't think he's that guy. I, I really don't. I don't know if it was because he'd been under Sting's wing for so long and Sting wasn't ever really that guy. And he fights just with his body and soul in such a way that, I don't know, like cocky, smart mouth actually, Darby Allen is just not for me. Not at it. all. And it's I, like, not him. It's it's not his baby it's not his baby face charm. Like I don't think I like Darby Allen the person and yet his character wins me over every single match. And I just I'm starting to think less of the gimmick because of these it's the style of the promos he's being given. Yeah, I realise that they have to build tension within every sub-pairing of the Pillar storyline. But this is the one that's really dragging it down for me mm-hmm. like quite badly. But weirdly, and again, a microcosm of the show overall, the other pairing was pretty fantastic, I thought, later on. But we'll get to that after uh, we discuss Jeff Jarrett defeating Dax Harwood in the second match he's worked after winning an AEW World Tag Team title. This would not have happened in 2019, even when the wheels were kind of falling off a bit (laughs) after full gear. So we were debating yesterday about how the match would play out, whether it would be full-on capital M, capital H, Memphis Heat, or the Dax Harwood would want to try and do an old-school map match against uh, the 55-year-old Jeff Jarrett. They chose the latter route, and for me, ultimately, it was over-ambitious. That's the one word I would use to describe this, because they have this um, this map exchange. Some of it's really good, and then Jeff Jarrett takes his shortcuts, this riles up Dax Harwood, they have a demonstration of how to throw a worked punch and a duel that I thought was the highlight of this match. And then it goes back onto the mat before the shenanigans happen. Sanjay Dutt traps Dax Harwood's feet. 
even though he was ejected from ringside and then echoed the WrestleMania 39 finish, which <laughs> why would you do that so close to that raw moment still? And, uh, yep, World Tag Team Champion gets pinned, and it's just a thing to set up a tag team title match. What promotion am I watching here? I got that element out of this. And the match itself, like, if you're going to do this kind of lung-bursting cardio mat work effort, maybe don't do it with the 55-year-old Jeff Jarrett, <laughs> who's much better when he stays in the one lane he can do mm. because he's so smart. He knows the dark arts, um, and it hasn't got boring yet, so I don't know why they took this approach. Maybe arrogance, overconfidence. Um, certainly, again, the word is overambitious because there were certain moments when they were trying to reverse one another on the mat and kick out of stuff, when they were trying to plant their beat on one another's chest and roll back and all the rest of it, and it just felt like they were really struggling through this and not in a struggling for advantage, but struggling to keep up with one another. This did not do much for me at all. I, I agree. I was rooting for this, and it just never quite peaked in, well, in any discernible way, really. I, I think had Jarrett maybe tried the shortcuts more, had you tried to have the dueling philosophies more at play, so Dax constantly trying to turn it back to a wrestling match and Jarrett flatly refusing to let it become one, you might have had something. Because I think that would have given them the necessary rests, the necessary stalls. Jarrett's been so refreshing. On uh, That's kind of like how I'd classify some of his matches. This is not me doing the old man, the cornet thing. And it's not even me doing the kind of MJF tweet from the other day about exactly how many bumps are being remembered, exactly how much fans do not realise. They think they realise the risks, but they don't. How much should you really be doing? Jarrett's been none of that, and it's been really... It's almost felt new again, and he's kind of... I wouldn't say he's modernised it, he's just brought it in in a way that I think feels like quite nice on a dynamite, and I think that's what they were going for, but it just... It never really reached that peak. I have no problem, truthfully, with the finish. I think, like, Sanjay Dutt, like, the stroke has been... Like I'm not, I don't know if it's been protected in AW, but it's been put over here. So there's a false finish in it because it was enough to beat Dax here. Obviously, Dax had been distracted by Sanjay beforehand. So I quite like the like FTR. FTR need loads of cool false finishes for their pay per view matches, and this is now another one of them. So that's pretty great. Uh, they kind of flippantly joked yesterday. Oh well, like. Not to be cruel to the other two, but this is definitely the most entertaining singles match to do if you're going to build a tag match. And then they're doing the other one on Rampage anyway. Why are they doing the other one? Is it be- that's so? This is just so WWE yeah, for me. That, already- that's where it crosses a line for me. That. So there's two problems I have outside of the fact that I thought the match and the content of it and the approach to it was really over-ambitious for where Jeff Jarrett in particular is. But then again, I don't think Dax was particularly impressive in this match either. So they're doing two singles matches between the um, each member of each team to set up a match. That's WWE out the arse. There's pinning a champion, WWE out the arse. And there's some cheating from Sanjay Dutt, which I know that Tony Khan doesn't endorse on his programming because he's retconned the results of two matches that have <laughs> taken place over the last seven days because he can't sanction cheating, except he does, what, 99% of the time. Like, again, he just... This is what happens when you are distracted with too much in your life. (laughs) It's an example. Like, if I've got a busy day at work and my wife has told me that I need to do something, I'm the cliched man who will just forget Mm -hmm. sometimes because I'm really busy at work. Tony Khan at this moment in time seems to me to be a guy who is really busy at work. However, I'm about to put him over big 
because his idea and his revelation of the idea about how the Owen Hart Cup this year is going to unfold was magnificent across the board. He was dignified and composed. He didn't feel shaky, which has its own bad repercussions potentially <laughs> because if he, if he is getting in front comfortable in front of camera, he certainly is enjoying doing it of late. Yeah. But he, I'm not going to bury him for that here because his new idea for the Owen is fantastic. Let's go back in time. Last year's Owen was ultimately only really worth it to see Martha Hart's beaming face. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was great. The tournament itself, I thought it had some great matches in it. Cole versus Harwood was fantastic, if I recall correctly, amongst a few others. But ultimately, I was let down. I thought that Tony Khan couldn't help himself but advance his other storylines in the body of the tournament. And I thought it should have been its own self-contained thing Mm. from the start. It wasn't. Each final was a gentleman's three, if that. Yeah. And it was just pitched wrongly, I thought. But again, Martha Hart, Dr. Martha Hart, beaming was all worth it. This year, if you have not watched Dynamite yet, every single match, I believe, is going to take place on the Canadian Summer Tour. Yeah. We are getting the opening ceremonies at Double or Nothing. I love the opening ceremony for a tournament like it's the friggin' Olympics or something. Great, that's pres- a great idea. Prestigious on its own terms, just to have the wrestlers come out, yeah. and just to be in that tournament. Doing all of it in Canada is a great yeah. idea. The finals are going to take place in Calgary, Alberta, yeah. Owen's hometown. It's just wonderful, all of this across the board. And better yet, on top of everything else, so it's really nice, it's touching, and it's inspired in the case of they are drawing on Owen Hart's history in New Japan Pro Wrestling so that current members of the New Japan roster, ahead of and maybe even at Forbidden Door, will compete in the Cup. And it's just, this is honestly, this blew me away with the, uh, the amount of thought and loving detail and just how touching all of this was. I cannot wait for this tournament. Totally agree. Um, two years in a row where they've been entrusted with, like, I guess, taking over the legacy of Owen Hart because it was something Martha never wanted WWE to have. Yeah. So it's like it's just remained in stasis and... In, in wrestling terms, I should say, in stasis, you know, our needs as wrestling fans never really needed to be met. It's Martha Hart. Yeah. And this is the, the second go at it. And I've always put Tony Khan over for this. I might have my reservations about him sometimes, but just in terms of understanding, it's again, like we talk about this all the time, there's a lot of hypocrisy about what fans know and don't know and are allowed to think if they've never taken a bump or they've never been in their business. Tony Khan has proven over and over again that fans can and should because... He's clearly got a deep love that we all share for certain things about wrestling. And this is like another example of it about treating it with care and with love. It's a great tournament, as you say, like the the range of match quality and hopefully story-free tournament stuff, like let this be self-contained, is really genuinely inspired. Uh, the final, if I'm not mistaken, is going to take place on a Saturday, which you would assume is no longer a Canadian house show but will be a Calgary-Alberta edition of Collision, like one would guess. That's right, isn't it, if it's going to be on a Saturday night, and indeed Collision is getting announced any time now. So the potential for friggin', I don't know, like Brett and Punk to be on commentary in the final of the Owen. I don't think Brett can or will do it. Oh, has he got a WWE thing in place? It's always so hazy. Oh, of course, yeah, with just with Owen stuff in yeah. general. But I like, don't the, even know what his relationship with Martha is like at this point. Yeah, but like Punk, potentially back as part of Collision and maybe able to provide commentary. And that, like, again, to the point about the matches at Double or Nothing last year, it was so lovely after the bell. Mm-hmm. But 
this year you have the opportunity to get all of it. Yeah, it could be like just perfect pro wrestling. Yeah. Just perfect pro wrestling. There's potential for here. Right. Candid admission. I saw Wardlow come out. <laughs> I thought, right, okay, I'll do the entrance. I will write down some notes because I was doing ups and downs, mm. which you can read imminently on whatculture.com slash WWE. It's a glorified transcript <laughs> um, of this podcast, but you know how it goes. At this point, was this an impromptu match or just an unannounced match? It wasn't on the um, graphic, and I didn't see it beforehand as the, you know, when they do the late Twitter announcement. Yeah. Something. I didn't see it anywhere, so I don't but know. I don't, I don't think know it was framed as. as an impromptu. It was just unannounced, but it was always on the card. You just didn't know about it. It wasn't like, well, we've got some time, even though we don't. It's all <laughs> yeah. distributed perfectly in my world. We really my world, my world. Accent towards the end. My pedantic world. <laughs> Anyway, beat someone up. It's a complete waste of time. They could have just done a promo. But ultimately, it's fine. Because I thought this was quite good. Hmm. Uh, Wardlow and Arn Anderson. I think this has inspired a bit. He's obviously not where he was um, in the build to double or nothing last year. But it feels like a course correction and possibly a necessary one. Arn Anderson is so good at cutting promos. And his economy and his way of just saying a lot with saying a little, and the authority that comes with that is great. Because he kind of buries how big the roster is. There's <laughs> 150 guys walking those halls, and I think you're the very best of them. I think you are the elite of the elite. That's why I'm hitching my wagon to you. And so he puts them over in one fair stroke. And also, Wardlow, who I think is very good at acting, is not particularly good at talking, Um. It's not bad at it, mm. but it's the one th- one of the things that lets his superstar presentation down. He's good at pre-tapes, but if you can get on Anderson to be his live mouthpiece, I think it kind of works. It's a little bit weird, if I'm being honest as well, but I think I'm. it's a cautious step in the right direction. Ultimately, Anderson puts him over. This summons Christian Cage and Wardlow, who advance towards the ring before thinking less, thinking better of it rather, and then retreating. I want both of these matches. Wardlow and Luchasaurus have had an awesome lumberjack hoss fight. If you recall as well, can you remember Fighter Fest 2020 night one? MGF in the pink trunks. Oh, yeah. With Wardlow uh, against Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Yes. And it was Sasha Banks was headlining Great American Bash yeah. on the same night. Kenny Omega um, and Hangman Page versus Best Friends. Mm. And there was all of this competition. I thought that. That tag team match blew everything out of the water. Um, so I'm really looking forward to them doing Wardlow versus Luchasaurus. And I think Christian Cage, with his immaculate craftsmanship, can draw from Wardlow his best back-and-forth match yet. So I'm banging to all of this. Not like bursting at the seams to see <laughs> yeah. it, but when it comes, I'll be happy. Yeah, a small criticism first, because then I do want to praise the rest of it. Um, if you were going to bring out Christian and new Luchasaurus here... For the for a teased showdown where nothing occurs, you probably could have saved it last week and just let Wardlow celebrate. Just let Wardlow win in the title be the moment. Yeah. Because we said that last week, guys, straight on to the next thing. You get five seconds with the belt and then it's on the but then like nothing's happened yet. So you probably could have saved Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Could have saved point. that for this week and that's then a good it, point, Hamlet. Thanks very much. Let's do one. I'll fist bump you, but we can't reach each other. Like the um, I it's just excess. It's just an AW thing where it's like, I've thought about it now, so we're doing it now. Uh, now! Yeah, what's the development for next week? Nothing, but we're doing that as well. Like, But I'm, I'm with you on the matches, certainly the quality of all the matches. Um, I think the... I, I really love the Arn Anderson-Wardlow thing already in ways that... So it's Tony Khan's like kind of 
Max Caster, Anthony Bowen's uh, pairing. Yeah, magic. Magic stuff that I think has happened here with Arn Anderson and Wardlow because they didn't need much of an explanation to make it feel like it was lived in. And then straight away when they've been out the ring twice, Wardlow's felt bigger than he has in months. So there's like the proof of the pudding is in the eating there. There's twice now where like Wardlow feels like he's got his aura back. If you look in Wardlow's eyes and in his body language, he feels it too. Like he is wrestling with more confidence than he's had in weeks, maybe months. Yeah. And obviously there's nothing wrong. It's not like patronizing. Arn's not like a babysitter or anything, but wrestling just has a weird way of sometimes people feeling like there's more support out there. There's somebody else with them. Even if all they're there to do is stand there and look imposing, which Arn Anderson does. Wardlow's adopted the um, the Glock pose as part of his little repertoire as a little shout out to Arn. And it's not a shout out to Horseman Arn Anderson. It's eight, 12 months ago. Armed Anderson. Armed Anderson. So that's like, that's its own AW thing that feels yeah. quite lived in, which is quite nice. And we are probably going to get, if you think about it, Christian Cage battering Brock Anderson for a tag match. Oh, yeah. Like, it gets Brock. No, potentially not. Brock Anderson is now being paired with Brian Pillman Jr. Yeah. Wonder, wonder why Arn picked Wardle over those two. <laughs> so I got a great man for this business, kid. We'll go backstage. <laughs> I want to put over Renee Paquette before I put over what was probably my favorite, most entertaining part of the show. Her slow realization that, oh, these two dickheads are being dickheads face, but I have to be professional. Mm. Like, she's so understated and so good at this. And did you see, catch the way that she was just very almost Orange Cassidy-esque, just switching the microphone between the two of them. Like, yep, yep, time for your bollocks. Now time for your bollocks. <laughs> she was great here, but this is obviously MJF and Sammy Guevara's segment. So the basic crux of it is, is that they're saying, look, people have got a lot of problems with this, that I've cheated Jack Perry to win, and Sammy, you know, has decided to take a job. What's the expression? Take a dive. Yeah. Take a dive. Guess what? And then in stereo, though, they both say to the camera, we don't care. And that's when <laughs> Renee Paquette goes, ah, yeah. cheers, guys. And then they go back and forward. Then they thanks, MJF and Sammy Guevara. Yeah, thanks, MJF and Sammy Guevara. They go back and forth. They present each other with gifts. Yeah. MJF gets his leather vest. It's really into that. And then you got me one too as well. Ah! And then they um, and then they have MJF present Sammy Guevara, his very own Burberry scarf. And Sammy Guevara goes, oh, come here, man. <laughs> this is on the forehead and then she goes oh, I want to do that as well and it's so really funny, funny. I yeah. pissed myself laughing um, this is just highly amusing in and of itself it elevates pretty shoddy material that mm-hmm. we've got from this pillar storyline over the past week or so Renee Paquette's brilliant and I just thought this was fantastic elevating bad material is right because Come here, man. <laughs> I think we have to be everybody has to be honest at this point there's a world title for you, this ain't it. None yes. Of it, none of it's it. Um, so then you're left in the position where all you can do is elevate the band material. If I was thorough, Someone tweeted me this. I was thoroughly sports entertained watching everything yes. here, and I was as well. That's exactly it. If this was mid-card fair and you were setting up the heels versus the baby face for double or nothing, you'd kind of be into this. Yeah. You'd be like, you're like, oh, well, you know, the, there's a title. So there's something serious coming next, pay you cycle. But this is fun. This is MJF and Jericho hanging out the car. Scream! Like Scream! This, this is the... Like, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the camera trying to get a quick look inside the car. Yeah, yeah, later, Like, in the backstage segment later on, so into that as well. Like, the idea that everyone in the company top-down despises MJF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Referees, management, Tony Schiavone, and now the camera. Camera operator. I want to catch this guy out like he's a snake. So, lots to love about this. It, it's just not headline material. No, it's And not. I wonder how much the wrestlers themselves know that. MJF especially. Like, he's That's just, he can perform 
light years above this, but he's also so brilliant at the comedy that he's showing this program is for him as showing his versatility as a yeah. world champion that can do it all because he evidently can. I was watching this and I was kind of mourning something that never happened. It's too late for MGF now. Who knows? They could maybe revisit this in a couple of years when MGF's out the world title picture. MGF and Sammy Guevara is a heel tag team. Jesus Christ. I knew there was something between them, chemistry wise. Assault gods. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I knew there was something between them on that first ever Empty Arena's Daily's Place mm. when MGF was pissing himself laughing <laughs> at Guevara just annihilating Judas at yeah. karaoke. And then when they were sort of a bit... Were they friendly at the start of the pinnacle thing? And then Sammy Guevara... Or did Sammy Guevara instantly realize he, can't he be was trusted. full of it? Yeah. I'm sure there was more than one outside of the Daily's Place. So maybe I was just so happy with that memory that it's just clouded mm. my whole outlook of their relationship. But even though it's fake chemistry and they're trying to play against each other, and they're trying... It's like they're playing chess. Yeah. They just they would have been an amazing, amazing heel tag team. I had a good feeling it would work last as early as last week when uh, MJF did Sammy's lying down pose. In the yeah. Ring. Just like, that. They get this. Yeah. They're going to measure this perfectly. The tag team match next week. We won't preview it here because we're stepping on our own dicks, mm. but they they should have a lot of fun. Really fun, yeah. I think I don't want fun for main event, yeah. but at least it's fun. Mm-hmm. Last week was the most edgelord WWE light stuff ever. At least this is entertaining now. And I think that's the ceiling of this, so let's just hit that ceiling. It's the champion and three losers last week, and it's actual good guys and actual bad guys next week. Yeah. It's more. It's closely it's tied Darby to... Darby Allen stopping a little twat. <laughs> yeah, ideally, I, yeah. I love the Darby Allen character, but recently he's a bit of an asshole. <laughs> um, we go backstage to RJ City, who I thought played his role fantastically Felt here. so sad for him. Felt so sad for him. The general gist is, the guy who is making waves in AEW, he's getting a cult following with Hey AEW mm. on YouTube, gets his big break. He's on telly. He's about a tell you something, and yeah. then John Moxley just sparks him clean out. Taz pisses himself. It's fantastic. He's like Renee's mate as well. So, like, he, John Moxley's not worried about their grief. He's yeah, going to have a home yeah, for yeah. this one. Like, they do their, like, preview thing together that's really fun on Twitter. He didn't telegraph the fact that the blow was coming. Yeah. He just looked really excited to be on TV. Almost over-enthusiastic, which has pitched brilliantly. It's clocked out by John Moxley and says, tonight... Omega and Takeshita are going to have some scars. And this is John Moxley doing John Moxley things. He tells you what's going to happen. It happens, but you forget that it's going to happen because he's not predictable. He's just an honest, reliable man. Yeah. There was a Eddie Kingston quality to how this all went down as well because John Moxley understands that wrestling shows are formatted, but is no doubt quite cross that he didn't get his five seconds to speak. Because he could have got his message across, so he's gone and taken somebody else's. Yeah. They'll run that locker room like the school bullies they're becoming, and he'll find his TV time somewhere. And if it wasn't going to be RJ City, it would have been somebody else. And it, I just, I love that. Like these are now to be feared. You can hear like the Jaws music whenever they're approaching somebody at this point. And they're yeah. just nasty pieces of work. I hate them. I kind of hate the Blackpool Combat Club. Utah helps immeasurably. In of course, this, in yeah, this regard. He, he really does. But I do kind of hate this group. So, like, especially for John Moxley, I think that's like. They've done quite an effective job of getting them over his heels. Yeah. Which you need to for the, this match at Double Nothing to work. You've got to hate one yeah. of the sides. You cannot be, oh, like, I still can't like Moxley a little bit. You, there needs to be villains in a match for that to work. I think yeah. so. 
I've got a love-hate relationship with the following match. It was Sammy Guevara defeating, via disqualification, uh, Darby Allen to win the Four Pillars Tournament Final, which already has been erased from existence. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jimmy thought this match was class. Like, yeah. I really, really liked it. So the story, if you've missed it, is that, like he was stuck to him with glue, Darby Allen just humiliated slash killed Guevara on the mat. Every single time Guevara tried to literally move, Darby Allen had a counter for it. What's important here is that it established that Sammy Guevara needs to do a risk. And this was in such great contrast to last week's match with Guevara versus Jack Perry, which felt like 2019 out the ass. It felt like they were just doing insane stuff to get a crowd reaction. No real thought behind it, no connective tissue or anything. They earned the mint moonsault to the outside here because the idea was Guevara... You have to get into this match. You have to do what you're good at because if you don't, you're going to get pinned within seconds because Darby Allen is frighteningly good at chain wrestling on that mat. So he does the moonsault. It descends into Sammy's just trying to kill both of them to narrowly survive it. Leads to this awesome 6.30 senton from the top turnbuckle to um, the table. Darby Allen kicks out. Eventually, MGF goes... Uh, Sammy's not going to win here. So he'd been on commentary. He was fantastic. The idea, and it's not just the deleted tweet this week. It's been a part of his act for ages. But MGF on commentary is going, my God, what a brilliant moonsault. Mm. Oh, that sent Tom was fantastic. We know he hates this kind of wrestling. Yeah. He was such a dickhead on commentary in a fantastic way. Then he ultimately realizes, I have to you know, cheat here. Otherwise, I don't get my easy victory at double or nothing. <sighs> They did a good version of a bad thing here. They listen to the podcast. I called this beat for beat. Did you? The skateboard included. The skateboard, yeah. and then they do the um, Eddie Guerrero, and then the referee. <laughs> All right, okay, that must have happened, DQ. <laughs> the fact that they foreshadowed the Eddie finish by having Guevara do loads of Eddie spots in the match was really cute yeah. and really nice. It was like they got away from me with doing a pretty uh, finish. I don't hate... In fact, I love AEW's approach to officiating because ordinarily it's consistent. The idea is we are the clean finish company. That's been drastically undermined <laughs> over the past almost two years at this point. But regardless, they don't do that many DQs and count outs. So to get away with it and to get more content into the matches, what they do is they have a philosophy at the core of the booking where... The referees show latitude, and commentary explains this time and time again. Yes, they've been brawling around ringside for minutes on end, but they don't want to throw matches out. If they can absolutely not help it, they don't want to throw matches out. So for them to have that rule in place, and the one time that the referee doesn't see cheating is when it goes to a DQ. I thought that was a bit much personally. Mm. What did you think of the match and the finish before we get to the post-match? Well... The devil was in the detail for me here. The Eddie Guerrero stuff being teased out before we got the finish that was really nice because they wouldn't have even had to have done that. Like, we know who it's referencing. We know what tricks they're playing and the skateboard itself, putting the weapon in the hand. You, you don't necessarily need to, so I kind of just appreciate that they were foreshadowing. Darby's an idiot. Dar- yeah. The, um, he should have, did he throw it at him or just hand it? Threw it, I think. That's better. That's yeah. better. The, the, the thing with a table spot in particular and MJF's commentary about like what he was putting over. The deleted tweet from MJF, but not just the deleted one, a one that I think is still kicking around in a reply to somebody where he talks about um, 
I can do this, I can do this. I like command a rope walk, I can do yeah, this, I can yeah. do this, I can do the assignments. So I did it once just to show you I could and then laugh at you because I'm never going to do it again, all that sort of stuff. I feel like you might be setting up doing the lot yeah, in the Four yeah. Pillars match. Can't do a rope walk. But I think like equivalent stuff, I think he's going to try and like... Out- I don't think MGF can do a walk, rope walk, but I'm happy to be proven wrong. I don't even wish to see him try. I don't want to see him try. But I like the idea that within the match, it will be drawn out of him. Through vanity. Well, this is how it like, often goes in the MGF matches, yeah, and it's it's so much more effective than anybody else's high loads spot. Of awesome clues yeah. that are dropped, and then you like, and as you say, yeah, MGF does it, and then you're just completely wowed by it. But I also love Darby Allen out wrestling Sammy, which again feels like a dig at MJF because of their headlock takeover feud. Like the one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, oh, that was very much emphasized the Amateur well, wrestling yeah. that underpinned their classic first match, mm. I think, is going to play into the. So I really admired this more than last week's attempt to, I don't know, make the Four Pillars match itself fun. Like, they, they, I felt like they were showing me here loads of stuff that might occur it, in the match. It feels like... Over the past week, there's been a realization of look what the the ceiling of this is lowered. Mm. Let's just meet it and just go full sports entertainment. And there is a good and bad version of that, and that's what this was tonight. I thought, but I'd like to think there's things to appreciate within the body of the match oh, itself, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I'd hope that's what a lot of this sort of like seed planting is. Um, and there was something else I was thinking as well. The I can't remember, but it was something to like. I just it was Darby Allen in particular. I thought here um, just nailed his performance from when to go from like in-ring super worker to the Darby Allen that we would typically associate him yeah. with the risk taker, all that kind of thing. And for Sammy to, that table bump is the sort of one that it's a, it's a little bit, that spot is overused. Somebody going through a table on the floor now and, and not being a DQ or not being a transgression at this point, people go through tables on the floor, like a lot in AEW. But to your point, I just thought it was quite earned in this one. And I feel like I'll remember it. And that can't be said for a lot of the big spots. It, like I've kind of already started to forget Jungle Boy smashing that table last week. Yeah, and that was a very prominent and important spot. Whereas I don't think I will with this Sammy Guevara Derby Animal. Yeah, absolutely. In the post match, MJF and Guevara celebrate. The master plan is a huge success. Except that Tony Schiavone is 
got relayed information from Tony Khan saying that, look, he's not happy with this whatsoever. Um, next week on Dynamite. So this um, result stands, but because he's not particularly pleased with it, um, next week on Dynamite, there'll be a tag team match. It's going to be MGF and Guevara versus Jack Perry and Darby Allen. If MGF and Guevara win, that's the main event for Double or Nothing. When um, <laughs> Darby Allen and Jack Perry win, they will do the f- Pillars four-way for the AEW title at Double or Nothing, after which uh, Rene Paquette catches up with MGF and Sammy ranting about the injustice and all the rest of it. Uh, MGF's about to just leave in a waiting big car in which there is loads of space. And Sammy's like, yeah, man, let's get out of here. Ah, it's not much space. Bye. <laughs> brilliant. It's great. Absolutely brilliant. Like, starting to realise now that the plan is simply not going to work and Sammy's outlived his usefulness with him. And Sammy gets to realise that next week. I wonder if Sammy turns on MJF and, shockingly, MJF gets pinned next week. Like, I wonder if, like, I know, like, that might go against your champion taking it, but... He's been the- champion since November. It's now, it'll be May next week. That's, like, I'm surprised they've not done it yet. And in the context of the hows and the whys he gets pinned, Sammy getting one up on MJF at one of the worst times to have that happen to him might be quite inspiring. I think that's what this is leading to, actually, yeah. yeah. So, it's, none of this is ideal. Like, I... I've, Mr. Rankins, man. Like, imagine if all three of them had the same win records at the same time. and then That's what happened until last week. Yeah. That's literally what happened until last but week. But there was no actual rankings, yeah, yeah, was yeah. it? It was like, it was all in conversation. I, I don't know why it ever went past that. I don't know why it ever went know. past that detail. Like, Tony Khan has it, ruled. It, it, he's enabled his own laziness as Tony Khan with this. That's what yeah. he's done. The only way to solve this problem that actually isn't a problem is because I want the title off MJF is to give all three of them a title match and you can win all you want, Maxwell, but it's happening. Yeah. Double nothing, four way, done. Like, I... I don't know. Honestly, you've got to do episodic TV. You do, but there was multiple... I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so after that, uh, we get the Adam Cole um, summoning Chris Jericho for a confrontation. Here's where I'm a hypocrite, okay? I mentioned on the preview that I'm just sick of the convoluted, unfocused, constant, temporary alliances that more often than not lead to... For eight-man tags where the babyface teams are trying to coexist or it's just like we did it with the acclaimed and the JAS, more recently with Jay Briscoe and Planet uh, Mark Briscoe, apologies, um, and Planet Jarrett. And we got another four-man dream team tonight. Mm. It's awesome, so I can't really complain about it. So what happens is Adam Cole addresses Chris Jericho. He doesn't try too hard to be a badass. It's very well pitched, in my opinion. It just says, matter of factly, uh, matter of factly, you've taken it too far. If you don't come out now, I'm going to find you. Chris Jericho appears on the Tron. <sighs> He's very good. The booking isn't isn't afterwards. He appears on the uh, the Tron, and it is a Tron. It's not a video screen. It's a Tron because it's WWE out the years. And he's so good at being an arsehole. <laughs> Because the Chris Jericho bit of him being the hypocrite and the rules applying, and the rules don't apply to him, but they do to everybody else. Yeah. So you're, you're scum, Adam Cole. It's like, no, you are. <laughs> it's really effective. And it is yet again a setup for another blind side attack. So we've seen it from Chris Jericho. We saw it from Brian Danielson last week on Dynamite. We saw it from Stokely Hathaway last week on Rampage, right? Or the other week on Rampage. It's only Rampage, I never remember. 
I think three times in seven days, we have seen heel on the Tron, mm. baby face or baby faces in the ring, blindside attack. To, like, Tony Khan, what are you doing? You're too busy at work. <laughs> too busy at work, and you didn't do the chore. Yeah. So that really annoyed me. But then, so the JAS attack Adam Cole. Driven from the events earlier in the night, this brings out the babyface dream team of Bandito and Orange Cassidy. Yeah. Which is really cool. Orange Cassidy and Adam Cole being friends. This is what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Those two have been at war, and now they're kind of mutually respected. Yeah. Of all, the, wars, the, wars, the wars weren't that good, but we'll just gloss over that. Yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah, hatred, yeah. like, you can believe it. You yeah, look yeah, at them, yeah. and now they're mates. Yeah. That's great. But yet, it's still three versus four, and eventually the JAS... Uh, outnumber and outmatch um, Adam Cole and his new best mates. Something happens on the Tron, and I'm thinking, that's not Keith Lee's music, even though, other than the past this week, what happened was awesome. Should have been Keith Lee. You've made made (laughs) friends. Yeah. Gone off Adam Cole, have you? (laughs) Gone off Dustin Rhodes, have you? Gone off Adam Cole, have you? Back to Dustin Rhodes. What are we doing? Just do Adam Cole, uh, just do Keith Lee versus Swerve Strickland. Did that whole thing exist for... Like Tony can't have a bit of a dig at WWE for the manager. Ultimately, thing. I think so. And yeah. now it's just gone, mm-hmm. dead and buried. So Tron says SRS. <laughs> Did you? Uh, no, but on Twitter, uh, uh, that was my first inkling. Then I thought, is that just me? But then a few people on Twitter thought, is Sean Ross up of Fightful Select? <laughs> you know, is he coming out here? And then you hear End of Hearty. And it's Roderick Strong. Yeah. And I. My mind was blown. This is one of the biggest shockers in AEW history because you kind of knew Jay White had a 50-50 shot of coming. Mm-hmm. It had been reported that CM Punk and Danielson were pretty much coming. And it was advertised. And, you know, I thought he was still bound to a WWE contract. Yeah. And I never would have seen this coming. I tweeted this. At M. Sidgwick, if you'd like to follow me. I was stunned that WWE didn't make this public in some way. Mm. Like, oh, Roderick Strong's contract has expired. We wish him the best in his future endeavors. Basically, their coded way of saying, oh, he's going to turn on an AEW Dynamite in the coming weeks, so just look forward to that and spoil the surprise. We didn't want him anyway, so shut up. I cannot <laughs> believe they didn't do this. Yeah. I wonder if they didn't even notice. Remember, the the last time there was such a shock was Malachi Black, because everyone thought he was, he was under a 90-day non-compete. Yeah. And because of some... Idiotic administration error. He was, despite being promoted from NXT to the main roster a while before he actually left, it was 30 days in NXT. Mm-hmm. And it was, ah, and that was, that, I just can't believe that they didn't say, because at least they said, I've released him. They didn't say, oh, non compete, I've got up. Because I don't think they knew. But they said, oh, he's gone. So you expected him at some point to turn up. This might be the most unexpected, like, you know, the. I don't know the name of the graph. Unexpected plus big star. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I do. It's a graph called. Yeah. But it, I was just, I was really blo- I was, yeah, yeah, it was blown away. It's really great. Like, again, like surprises are hard to come by in wrestling. And that's, you know, partly the fault of people like, not us, but people like us within the wrestling media that get the information and know the scoops and it's part of the cycle and of the news and all that. So we want to know, but then sometimes when you don't, you get little magic moments like this. It was just brilliant to see, like, for me personally, like an all-time favorite stable represented in AEW, Diamond Mine. Um, 
in Roddy Strong, but also secondary to that, the Undisputed Era. Like, it's nice at this point to be vindicated for being 100% right in my takes from 2019 because Tony Khan clearly agrees with me and he desperately wants black and gold on his show whether we want it or not. Like, we're, we're getting a second bite of the Undisputed Era. There's even a look between Cole and Strong, which supported your long-held theory. Yeah, that, like, Strong was always this guy that made Adam Cole quite paranoid. He joined the Undisputed Era by choice. He was, at various points, more successful than him, like... Cole would always bury Strong when he lost because he was clearly trying to, like, pick him out as the strong member that the other two could then beat him up. Hope Kyle O'Reilly's fit soon. Let's have a look at the second incarnation of the, what the Undisputed Elite they were yeah. in AEW. Like, the, I just, I think this was really lovely. And Strong getting signed, is it, long-term, are there a bunch, is there, like, loads of really layered and deep, Stories to tell with Ring of Honor, uh, to tell with Roderick Strong, possibly not. But are there a bunch of cool matches you can do and a bunch of interesting combinations you can happen upon? Absolutely, yes. First thing I thought about because it was you that smartened me up on this one. Like, let's have a look at uh, Danielson and Strong versus the Young Bucks. Well, I wrote that in the like ups the, and downs today. Imagine that. Like, Strong <laughs> could be in the BCC. Yeah, and I did. Like, we've um, talked recently. I think it was about like where's Adam Cole at with the Elite at this point. When's that going to come? Yeah. How does Jay White factor in? How does any of that tie to the BCC's view of the current incarnation of the elite? These are not that hard to pull together. Yeah, you are one. You're basically one segment away. You're not talking like six degrees. Some context there, in case people are going, "What, what, what you were talking about?" Is that in 2009 when the Young Bucks, before they reinvented themselves as these meta arsehole fabulous heels, were really struggling after an initially promising run in PWG where they were baby faces coming out to Umbop and people quite ironically went Umbop at the crowd and then they realised this ain't <laughs> it. This is, uh, pa- uh, overstayed its welcome. And then Super Dragon, who books PWG, was thinking, no, they are baby faces. Can't possibly turn like the Rockers heel or the Hardy Boys heel. No, they're, they're baby faces. So to hammer that point home, they had a match, the Young Bucks, with Brian Danielson and Roderick Strong the instructions for which were kill the young bucks, <laughs> kill them like so brutally, stiff them up so badly that the fans will think, oh, hey, that's way too far. Come on, young bucks, get back in the yeah. match. The problem is that the PWG fans loved this beatdown so much that this weird just descent happened where it was just they dug a hole where the more that Strong and Danielson kind of looked at each other as if to say, are we not doing this hard enough? Let's do it hard. <laughs> the fans loved it more and more and more, the more violent it got. And then they were just told, right, okay, this is what you have to do. So it just happened. It was so traumatic <laughs> to the Young Bucks that they legitimately fell out with Strong and Danielson for a bit afterwards. So they could touch on that. Now, Roderick Strong, even if you don't know that law, like suits the BCC down to the ground. Yeah, his backbreakers in matches. There's a lot of, we'll get to this in the main event, I guess. There is a lot of, um, I I love that AEW held off giving you the lineups for Anarchy in the Arena because from the very beginning, they still don't know what it is. Well, this is it, right? They've they've kind of told you that the match is happening and Anarchy in the Arena is the assumption because of it's now got some double or nothing law. Blood and Guts exists. So even if you have a four at the pay-per-view, there could be a... If it's given to them, there could be a five-on-five. And I love that they've been coy with the lineups because that's what's the fantasy booking now. It's not so much about the match or the like the potential for the where the story goes. It's who's on the teams, who's on the sides. 
And there's a lot of ancillary players that, are, like I say, are very quickly drawn into this. It takes one segment to pull a lot of these yeah. people in. And that's what's great about AEW and Tony Khan understanding the value of all wrestling. Um, you know, like the, the Forbidden Door is open to New Japan, but it's not close to Impact. Yeah. So, for example, Trinity Fatty debuting in Impact later this week could ultimately still result in her linking up somehow with Mercedes Monet, which could bring them both into AEW. This is why you do it yeah. like this. This is why you keep the world open. So that's that's where the intrigue is to me at the moment, is in who's on those teams. And Strong coming in, I, I, I don't think you can rule him out. No. Like, if you think about what they tried to do with O'Reilly Fish and Cole, that was very spider webby and like the timing was all off and it turned out to be a big fat waste of time but the idea and the intent of it was good yeah at the, at the beginning absolutely we get a quick qtv next uh where basically powerhouse hobbs is threatening qt marshall with the idea of him not being a complete moron realizes that qt might be full of it incompetent and qt sort of begs off and says no no we've got a plan b that plan b better not be winning the international title. Not this way. No, I, I hope this is listening company stuff and it results in Hobbs turning babyface by smashing out of Katie Marshall. It felt like it's okay, we're going to get rid of it soon. <laughs> so, sorry about that, Bruce. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Uh, penultimate match is a disappointment for me. It's uh, yeah. Jade Cargill retaining the TBS title against Tyre Valkyrie and uh, it just didn't really work. There were some cool moments, cool bits of thought. I like how they tried to protect Tyre and try to create drama in the match with a superplex, like Jade doing a Canadian Destroyer. Yeah. Pretty awesome. I like how they thought, right, okay, we want to do something out of the norm here to try and build this as something bigger than the usual with Jade. But ultimately, the message has long since been communicated. There was never any atmosphere for this. It was a bleak watch, Mm. and they worked hard within a smart layout, but it just didn't matter whatsoever. And even if the match was, it wasn't great, I don't think it was that good, but there were some really nice moments of thought, and they worked hard, and yet, didn't matter, atmosphere was flat, and if it wasn't, they would have flattened the atmosphere with a finish, because Ty Valkyrie looked like an idiot who didn't grasp the stipulation, nor have a backup plan, because the stipulation, which in itself was stupid, was in place. A complete disappointment for me. A lack of a plan B stuck out like a sore thumb, didn't it? The whole point of um, the stipulation is obviously to clip Ty Valkyrie's wings, but as the ostensible babyface in the match, she should have more than that in her arsenal. How many different ways did John Moxley put people away as a top babyface? Yeah. And AEW has not just done that with Moxley. That's been a... Put f- f- with other men. A f- yeah. That's been a feature of the booking. But yeah, now you say it's probably in the men's division where you arm people with as many finishes as possible. And that's cool. You know, because like even... Uh, I would like... It was one of the first things that um, Sasha Banks did when she became Mercedes Monet was not come out and use the bank statement. Because the idea is, is like, well, I've got multiple ways to beat you because I'm super experienced. You can't just cut off a move and then expect me not to beat you. I may live to regret this, but I think I've sold my shares in the Jade Cargill title run. Not uh, in the ages ago. I, well, I kept waiting for the, like, because it's a streak, right? And, like, undefeated streaks were kind of educated by Goldberg and The Undertaker and other ones that they, they always work. It's a tanker. It's a tanker that they always feel meaningful and... This no longer does. These matches are devoid of meaning. and I forget she exists every single time until she comes up on the program. She feels so disconnected. They don't tell good stories. It's like the Jade-verse. Like people talk yeah. about the Cody-verse. Like at least he was going for the TNT title. At least he was like involved. Mm. Like Jade just feels like, oh, okay, we've got to do something with Jade. And I, and I hate it for her because she should be 
presented much better than she is. Well, that has a massive trickle-down effect on the matches as well, doesn't it? That's that's big fault of the where the lack of the heat is in these matches yeah. is how poor the story is. And as well, um, Taya... We'll do the post-match as well, yeah? Like, Taya Valkyrie goes to hit Aubrey Edwards. with the. Is that a heel turn? Because surely you could hit I any referee with that and you get more, a pop. I'm but so it, frustrated that I'm going to do a transgression, but ultimately I'm a still a babyface, so I'm not going to how, do it. How, what one thing did they do that... Um, Confirm that Athena returned heel. She attacks Aubrey Edwards. Yeah. So that is a thing that we know. If yeah, you go yeah. for Aubrey, that's a heel move. If Tyre does it to some idiot male referee. She didn't. She, she didn't. Yeah, she did. That's okay. true. Aye, she's kind of finished as a concern in AEW. She can stick around if she wants, but for what? Like, like does she join the outcasts? I think she joins the outcasts. Like, to kind of reheat her a little bit. She fits them. She does just... What you, like, do? I what you do about Jade Cargill? I turned up to this promised land of AEW. I got legally screwed out of a big opportunity, and it's a mess, and I hate it. I hate the people who are in the locker room or whatever. <laughs> so then, yeah, this is it. When you're doing, like, sort of, right, so Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter, like, they're all right with smart Mark Sterling. It's like, well, how does that work then? Yeah, nah. Like, Jade's probably got to join them for that to make sense. Yeah. And, uh, we'll not see. good. Anyway, enough analysis. Time to put myself over. It's time to play the game! It's time to play a game, Sidgwick. But what's the name of the game? Before we get to the aim of the game, what's the name of the game? Yeah, that. The aim of the game is to correctly identify to the hour, minute, and second when you are going to hear the first note of the first woman's entrance theme for the only match, because realistically, it's getting ridiculous (laughs) how there's one match and the atmosphere is always flat because fans have been conditioned to just... All right, it's one match before the main event. And, you know, there's a little rhyme. There's a little rhyme to help you remember the apathy at the heart of AEW's women's division, which trickles down to the atmosphere almost every single week. And that is, when the women come out to play, don't worry, the main event ain't too far away. So that's the aim of the game. Yeah. And the name of the game is, Well, this is ladies' night, I'm thinking, oh, what a night. So. Till the night runs out. Till the night runs out. James Hatfield. Um, so, in deep sending order, yeah, our guesses were as yeah. follows. Michael Hamflet, the moron. Yeah. At the top of the hour, which has literally never happened or I going know, to happen. Zero hours, 55 minutes, and zero seconds. Adam Wilborn, one hour, 13 minutes, 42 seconds. And your winner. Oh, God. At one hour, 26 minutes and 11 seconds, not too far away from the actual time of one hour, 28 minutes Which and is two the problem seconds, is me. <laughs> it's you. It's Michael Sidgwick. It's me. Main event time. It's Kenny Omega and Kanosuke Takeshita defeating the Butcher and the Blade in an only good match. Yeah. The level of detail, or lack thereof, I was shocked by. It didn't really feel to me like Kenny Omega... And Takeshita were kind of side eyeing one another. There was some jealousy. If it was, oh, you've done something cool. You're not elite, though. I'll show you and tap you on the shoulder. It was as if they'd kind of wrestled together for weeks and yeah. months, and they thought, oh, we've been doing a lot of this. Should we just do a ten minute three starer? This was kind of weird for me. This was a tag team wrestling match. How? I know. I, I, I was I, bewildered. I don't like, know where the storytelling of the character work is. And this is Kenny Omega. He's yeah. the best to ever do it, in my opinion. So I was kind of shocked by Cut this. Cut for time, maybe? It was short. 
I'll tell you one thing. They did... There was potentially subtext here because well, there's not much detail I thought here from Omega. And... Here we go. You've just unlocked it, haven't you? And he's not like, well, they didn't. They told me it. They told me it because at the end, in the post match, which I'll get to imminently, we'll get to now. Danielson was like, "Look, there's an amateur and there's a professional in there. There's a prodigy and someone whose best years were in Japan. So was Kenny Omega not his electrifying self and kind of going through the emotions to to make sense of that line and to make you then think, all right, maybe Takeshita is better off joining the BCC. I don't know if I'm justifying a three-star match, but that's what I feel like I'm doing. Kenny has quite a unique way to use being petulant in some of his work sometimes that only really reveals itself months later. Yeah. Maybe. But maybe they said, am I reaching, bro? Well, I don't I know. I think I am because why, why would Danielson say that? Danielson couldn't say that after Kenny Omega rocked the joint. No. This is... Oh, but man. I feel like I didn't get that beat before he said it, so how good could it have been? That's very, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's very 2019 Kenny's dogging it. But Kenny found this way to dog it at like a four and a half star level. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh no, what's happened to Kenny? Oh, like Kenny's that. bad. He's just worked a match that, you know, made Dave Meltzer clutch his pearls. Yeah. The whole people should know bad with Full Gear 2019. Like, he's, he's established his own bar for that. Yeah, even yeah. If he is doing he the can dogging work a, a slump, and yeah. it's still awesome. This was just... Eh. So weird. This is weird. Anyway, Takeshita looks marginally better, but even mm. he's like established a ceiling for his own quality of performance, which he didn't reach here. Great blue thunder bomb finish because the butcher's massive uh, setup to the finish. Uh, butcher's timing was a bit off elsewhere, but otherwise it was pretty generic and well worked and like well below Kenny Omega's standard. Thoughts on the match if you have any, and then we'll get to the post match, which I don't know what to say. None beyond that. I was waiting for something that just simply never came in this tag match. Then we were at the finish. It was very, very odd viewing experience, this. Like Kenny Omega, like, and rightfully so, feels still like a special attraction on Dynamite. Remember the the, the rare fortnight where he worked two weeks in a row? Yeah. And yeah. we thought, this has got to be leading to something, because they're, like, trotting Kenny out there twice, and it didn't. It's just Kenny's special. This wasn't that. This was the opposite of that. And I, I, I don't know. I, I really do not know what to make of, like, how dare Kenny Omega have a normal pro wrestling match? That's, I know. that's my thing. That's like a dynamite. It goes back to the other stuff. The dynamite match expectations. Nobody will speak about this beyond going, remember that weird tag match that just had no vibe? Yeah, yeah. That'll be how it's remembered, I think. It was odd. So anyway, Danielson, who'd been doing commentary, putting, hammering home the idea that the BCC want Takeshita because they want to reimagine AEW in their own image. Takeshita could be an integral part of that, but if he buddies up with the elite, he'll just look at Cutler and Nakazawa. He'll just be another one of them. He repeats this to Kenny. He also mentions that, look, you're knackered, and Takeshita's still ready to go. He's got potential, you don't. And for the second time in the same show, for what feels like the fourth time, for the fourth time across three shows, the elite come from behind. This draws out the young bucks. We get the brawl. The elite get the better of it. Kenny Omega is about to stab John Moxley's eye out. Takeshita at Danielson's urging says, no, don't do that. Mm-hmm. I've had really competitive matches with these guys when I was on the rise. That's what he's indicating. I think that's the story they're telling because he, he'd have mint matches with Moxley and Danielson. And he's like, no, 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 I kind of respect these guys. You probably shouldn't poke their eye out. And by the time this all happens, the BCC get the advantage. And then, no, 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 what happens is it feels like Takeshita's with the BCC because he's foiled the elite from 
injuring the BCC. Moxley like pushes Takeshi into Kenny to stop the screwdriver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at this point, Kenny's on the deck and Takeshi's up standing with them. And, the raises yeah. arms. He's like, no, no, I don't want to be with you. I just don't want you to. Just, it's very BTE. This, if I'm being perfectly honest. And go, all right, okay, well, if you, oh, you made a choice, right, we'll stab your eye out or your forehead with a screwdriver or whatever, and then uh, the show ends. It's These elite BCC angles just aren't clicking for me. I give it up because ultimately I still want to see what happens next week. Mm. I don't even know what side Takeshita's on because the elite aren't going to really welcome him with open arms. Like, you did it, you're with us because you're not. Don Callis and Takeshita have bled with the BCC. Yeah. And that's feels at this point, I, get, like, I go back to this Callis cut, is it the best wrestling happenstance ever, or did he just slice his was skull? He meant to blade, and that happened and instead. That happened yeah, instead. And it's become even more potent. I don't know. Like you uh, going with a low blow was good. Again, I've enjoyed He's like, a little the, bastard. He's yeah, great. The, the gradual. How low can the BCC go from the first week they slid out of the battle? And you're like, ooh, different. I use the Austin comparison. The night he's tapping out. Tapping out like a drunk man the night after WrestleMania 17. That was quick. Yeah. That's where we are now, is it? Like, this has been way more gradual. You wouldn't have had you to do the low blow on night one of the turn. Yeah. We're at the point now where they're just bastards. They're just awful, awful people. There is a big angle come match before Anarchy in the Arena that I think needs to happen. And I'm going to try and manifest this now, if you'd care to join me. I think we should have Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson on the double or nothing go home dynamite. Uh that'd be great. For the hangman page for Robert Return. Are you noticing that he's not really getting brought up. Yeah. Like that feels like they want to recreate when he came back for the ladder match. And it was Moxley he ended up yeah, kind of yeah. taking that from, wasn't it, as well? But like he came back with that just euphoric AW brand heroes welcome. That is happening. That is going to happen and possibly at the last possible moment where these guys need Page more than ever. Yeah. And I think the Danielson Omega rematch is a worthwhile like thing before this. Like I think they should do it's that. It's a rematch, so you're not even giving it away for the first time, but to I set I think up. they should do that. Yeah. Absolutely they should do that. Um these angles are weird. <laughs> like I've mentioned before Danielson is punk's surrogate. So it already feels a bit inauthentic. And it feels also inorganic because you get these exposition dumps. Punks. Brian's avatar, he goes to, he loves WWE, he's good friends with everybody. Yeah. So they feel inauthentic and then inorganic when we get to the actual angles because you get an exposition dump, you get some physicality, then it comes to a halt and then you get more monologuing. Mm. It just feels like they're cr- trying to cram way too much in and because they're chasing the point of what all of this actually is that, I know, it's just weird in a way that I don't necessarily think is that great. I like Brian as the proper micey little mouthpiece, but I don't love it yet. Yeah. I can't put my finger on that because he's one of the better I fell ones. in love with him as a baby face. Yeah. Storyline before this happened. Like, I see him it's jarring. All what? of this, I just feel, is jarring in every kind of way. He's got that like... And I also love where it could go. He'll do any little thing to try and get over whatever it is he's doing because he is a genius at this. But I look at it and, like, there was a detail this week in what he was wearing. Like, it, he cutting the sleeves off that Blackpool Combat Club hoodie. I think in his mind, is like, sleeves cut off my hair tied back. I'm a badass. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, but... He is. And it's a knowing badass thing. He's like, I also look like a complete asshole. And that's good, too. It's a bit Cobra Kai. Yeah. And he's working towards that. And I like that. But it's not... It's still that he's playing it more than he is it. Yeah. That's what I love about um, Utah 
and what I'm starting to love about Moxley, I'm less and less thinking that they're, they're playing at this. And Danielson as the mouthpiece at the moment is still a little bit, feels a bit more performative than maybe the rest yeah, of the, no, the I get I, of the Blackpool combat. I totally get that as well. And it's just the mid-beatdown monologuing where it's like, it's not chaotic. It's not real. Hmm. It's chasing what it wants to be. It's very interesting, I'll give it that. It's the mystery component of this remains the best thing about it. And even then, you're not really in the moment loving your pro wrestling. You're thinking, oh, I'm going to love the pro wrestling that happens next week, I think. Mm. It's just all very weird. Am I making any sense? Are we being too harsh? What did you think of Dynamite on the whole? You can let us know, and we'd love to know, um, particularly about this week's episode, mm. underneath the podcast link, um, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet. You can follow me at M. Sidrick. Once again, thank you very much for joining us and taking time out of your day. We always appreciate it. Um, we'll see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.